Welcome to the New Birth Baptist Church Pulpit Podcast, a weekly service brought to you from the sanctuary of New Birth Baptist Church in Walnut Cove, North Carolina. We pray these messages and these sermons will be a help to you in your daily walk, and we look forward to you subscribing and coming back every day. May God bless you and have a wonderful day. To John chapter 16. I'm going to read something to you first. You know how magazines put out all kinds of annual, uh, I guess what you can say, assessments or evaluations or picks or anything like that when it comes to people. Uh, Time magazines, people or person of the year and things of that nature. Well, People Magazine came up with their own list of of the 100 most influential people in 2021. I want you to get in and hang on to this, okay? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over five of them. Some of you may know some of these, but I want you to listen to their characteristics and keep in mind this, the devil's already trying to take my breath from me. This is what people see as influential in the day that we're living. Billie Eilish a uh, young lady, um, pop artist. I want, to, I want you to listen to some of the lyrics of one of her songs. All the good girls go to hell because even God herself has enemies. And once the water starts to rise and heaven's out of sight, she'll want the devil on her team. My Lucifer is lonely. There's nothing left to save now. My God is going to owe me. There's nothing left to say. Influential person number one. Little Nas X, a rapper. He um, got a lot of attention here in the last few months. Number one, he's homosexual. And he developed what's called the Satan Shoes. He he hijacked the Nike brand. Nike took him to court. But you all too have seen these shoes. And they were called the Satan shoes. Influential person number two. Bad Bunny. CNN said that in pink florals and short shorts, Bad Bunny champions a new masculinity. His gender-variant behavior is on full display in many of his videos, and when he, at award shows, appears with well-manicured and polished long fingernails. He. That's influential person number three. Ibrahim Raisi is an Iranian conservative Islamist, politician, Muslim jurist, and the eighth and current president of Iran named one of the four persons involved in the 1988 execution of Iranian political prisoners. Influential person number four. Abdul Ghani Barada, an Afghan political and religious leader who is currently the acting first deputy prime minister of the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan and is the co-founder of the Taliban. Influential person number five. And I stopped there. 
There's a hundred of them. Some of them were, were okay. Some of them were uh, pretty influential in the right direction. But there wasn't a single modern-day Christian leader in the list at all. Christianity apparently has no influence on the world that we're living in today, according to People magazine, or at least they don't want it to. So how do we deal with this? How do we even begin as a Christian to listen to what the world sees as influential, as ranking? And the interesting thing is all of those that I, that I listed were written about by somebody else that's pretty influential. It's like one of them in there was like um, Dolly Parton was actually one of the most influential people. But Miley Cyrus is the one that wrote about her, if you know who Miley Cyrus is. Um, not the best representative of uh, the female gender in the days that, not the best role model for our young ladies today. Um, this may get me taken off of Facebook, so y'all just be ready. We might not be broadcasting on Facebook Sunday. But that's okay. So how do we deal with this? What does Jesus say about all of this? What does he say about how we should be, how we should act, what we should do, so on and so forth? What did I do with my notes? I know I folded them up and put them up somewhere. I got to have them. What did I do with them? See, the devil's done hit my notes from me. Guys, I know I had them. What did I do with them? Anyway, John chapter 16. I tucked them somewhere. You know what? I'll be all right without them. You know how I know? Because he's going to take care of me. John chapter 16. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. There's another one of those King James words. You better watch what you... It, this is not about being offensive or offended in that our feelings are hurt. This is that we don't fall away. This is that we don't stumble. This is so that we don't go the wrong direction, Jesus says. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them, and these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. They didn't need to know that. But there's something about to happen that he's going to explain to the disciples that is going to be very disturbing to them. It, in fact, he's already told them because John chapter 14 says, let not your hearts be troubled. They, he already told them that he's going away. But now he's going to give them a little more deeper insight as to why he has to go away. I entitled tonight's message, The Bittersweet Nature of Death. I, I want you to you say, boy, that's a, what a message, what a title, death. Well, folks, we're appointed unto men once to die. Death is part of this system and world that we're living in, and it's all part of God's reconciliation plan. Christ had to die, okay? So death is the penalty for sin, and it had to be paid. So death is not something that the Christian 
ought to shy away from, but there is a bittersweet nature to it. What is that bittersweet nature? He says, but now I go my way to him that sent me. What is he, ta- what is he saying? Christ says, I'm about to die. I have to die. I'm going back to my father. And none of you asketh me whither thou goest, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. And I believe there's a lot of sorrow filling the hearts of people today too um, because of what's happening around us. Can you imagine Jesus walking with these disciples and now he looks at them and says, I got to die. That would have been a pretty good, pretty good downer, if you ask me. He says, but because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus says, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Who is going to reprove the sin and the judgment of the world? Us, the Christian, the church? No, but we're going to preach the truth, which is going to bring out the sin and the untruths and the righteousness and all the right stuff. But it's not for us to fix. He says, and when he has come, he will reprove the word of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin, because they believe not of me, on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus twice says, I didn't tell you before, and I'm not going to tell you now. I want, us to, I want you to understand, according to God's Word, the, what we know and what we see and what we have in God's Word is right on time. It's not early. It's not late. It is exactly when He wants us to know it. That's very hard for us living in the world that we're living in right now. Very difficult for us because what do we want? We want to know. We want to, we want to be able to figure this thing out. We have all different kinds of personalities in the church. Uh, we have diff- people with different temperaments, and I've mentioned these things before. Me, uh, I'm a melancholy. I'm a fixer. And when it can't get fixed, I get depressed. I'm just telling you the, the nature. When something I see needs fixing and I can't fix it and it's not fixed, it brings me down because I can't. And that's my nature. Now, you got others that uh, could care less if it's fixed or not. They're going to live their life and they're going to take a half an aspirin and go to bed and not worry about it. I mean, that's just some people out there that can just do that. Then you've got some that are so... so so happy and with everything that's going on, they could care less whether I fix it or anybody else fixes it. They're just going to have a good time. They're going to enjoy life. And they're not going to let it bring them down. And then you got those that are waiting to be told what they need to do to help the process along the line, but they're not going to get involved before then. They're going to wait for somebody to tell them this is your job. So all different kinds of temperaments out there. And you pick out which one you are. Because we're all different in ways, but we have to understand that we deal with situations differently. No one person is going to deal with this the same way that you do. 
I, I preached the message sometime back out of the book of Jeremiah and out of the book of Habakkuk where Habakkuk was angry and crying out. Jeremiah was crying and crying out. Two different perspectives on the same situation for the nation of Israel. You and I are doing the same thing right now. How this world is affecting you, it's you. Don't let anybody tell you that you're dealing with it the wrong way. You are you. How you feel. I'm going to say this. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to, to be a little bit concerned. But the Bible says we should not be fearful. Because we know that the Bible says we ought to have the, the spirit of, of power, not of fear. That's what God wants us to have because we're relying on him. So Jesus knows that these disciples are going to deal with it in their own way. I mean, Peter runs off at the mouth. John goes and stays in his bosom. Um, Thomas doubts and asks a lot of questions. The rest of them were kind of just along for the ride. You see what I'm saying? They all dealt with it differently. They all had their own personality. And you're going to do it too. But he wants us to understand that he had to die because the comforter would come. You and I, again, want to fix it all, but God has already said the comforter is here. And he is going to be the reprover, the rebuker, the corrector. You and I are not to do that. You're saying, well, wait a minute, my Bible says that I ought to speak the truth. Yeah, speak the truth. But just understand that you are not the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority is the one that's going to come and have the power to do it. And yes, the Holy Ghost can give us power to be that strong witness, to be that strong Christian, to be that one that can stand up and do what's right. But in the end, it's going to be God that does all the fixing. It's going to be the Holy Ghost that does all the correcting. It's going to be Jesus that does all the judging. That's the way it works. That's his plan. That's the way it's going to work. So now as Christians... How do we now deal with this? Well, the Bible has given us instructions. Romans chapter 13. Lot to say, lot to be said about the book of Romans. Understand that under Roman government, there was a lot of um, top-down government. They said it, you do it. They had all kinds of rules and laws, especially associated with not adhering and not honoring Caesar, not doing what was right, not doing what was right in the, side, in the eyes of Caesar. But remember what Jesus said about um, render that unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto the, to God that which is God's. You and I are, are doing, have to do the same thing. Government is here, folks. It's here to stay. Now, how does the Christian, how does it deal with it? What, is the, what should be the nature of the Christian during this government control? Well, it says this in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to, do, to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? 
Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Who is this he? The government. See, God designed it this way. Human government has been in existence ever since the beginning of the world. And when the Tower of Babel took place and everybody was scattered and the languages were confused, nations began to be developed. And then nations had rulers. Now, in the beginning, it was Nebuchadnezzar. It was a one-world government in the beginning. Nero was even the first one, I guess you could say, with, in Babel. And boy, he was not a good one. He was an evil one. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He was able to be influenced by Daniel and the three little boys, the Hebrew boys. He had a lot of Christian influence, a lot of godly influence. And he had dreams. And God is revealing in him the dreams of what's going to happen to human government. It's not going to stand. The colossal image begins to divide out and divide out and divide out and divide out. And eventually it says that the kingdom, not made with hands, made out of stone, cut out of stone, is the one that's going to crush all the rest of them. And who is that stone kingdom? It's Christ. So way back in the book of Daniel, we're told that human government is going to be in control. Human government is going to be making decisions. Human government is going to do things that we do not agree with. But Romans 13 says that we have a duty. Now you're, you're going to ask the question, well, what if they start telling me to do things that I know I can't do? Then you don't do them. And you're like, well, what's the consequences? Well, he didn't ever say it was going to be easy to do so. Now, we can't fix the government, folks. We can vote. We can do our civic duties. We can even run for office. We can even fill those slots if we feel the, the urge and the leadership to do so. So, yes, we should be involved in our governmental process, but we should not rely and trust in our governmental process. We have to trust in what God says is right. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. God has put leaders in place. He has allowed leaders to be put into place. We may not like them, but as the book of 1 Timothy says, we have to pray for all people in high powers, all principalities, all kings, all governors. And it even says to pray for all men, meaning all of humanity. So there's nobody left out. And it says that these rulers are put in place that they would not be a terror to those who are doing good. You want to be silent for a minute. You believe that right now? Do you believe the leadership around this world is not doing terror to those who are good? The Bible even says in the book of Isaiah that that which is good would be made evil and that which is evil would be made good. So we're in, we're in those days as well. And it says that he is the minister the government, the president, the king, the leader is the minister of God. You're like, no, no way. Do you remember what I said minister means? Servant. Every leader that ever steps into place around this world is supposed to be in subjection and under the leadership and the servant of the almighty God. Supposed to be. You heard that word, didn't you? Supposed to be. But we know all through time, human government has not done that. 
How many good kings were there? Five. The rest of them did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, all the historical books say. Very few does it say, and he did good in the sight of the Lord, did that which is good in the sight of the Lord. Go back and read Chronicles, Kings. Go back and read those books. You'll see which kings did good, which kings did bad. And in fact, the nation of Israel was split at one point in its existence to the northern and the southern kingdoms with good kings and bad kings fighting amongst themselves. How are they going to be unified to fight the enemy when they're divided within themselves? Does that sound familiar? What we're experiencing, folks, is nothing new. It's not fun. It's not easy. It's not going to get any easier. But this has been the course of human government all through time. And God says we ought to do our absolute best to do what the government says until it starts conflicting what God says do. That's when it's going to get difficult. And, folks, we are now in that stage. We are now in that moment of time when resisting is going to be difficult. But it tells us we need to try to be peaceable with all men, does it not? That when possible, it says, live peaceably with all men. The rest of this chapter goes on to say, Owe no man anything, in verse number 8, that to love, but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Go back to the word of God, Paul says. Go back to what God's already said that you and I ought to be doing. So how do, we, how do we face this time that we're living? We face it under good, godly principles. We go back to the foundations. We go back to the basics. We go back to doing what God says do. Now, can you imagine me reading that today and how many people may even walk through the doors of the church and they have committed at least one, if not all? We all have at some point done against what God says, but we shouldn't want to remain there. So even more so in the day that we're living, our goal should be to live more Christ-like. Love more. Help more. Learn more from God's Word. Turn away from the things of the world and let our Christian example be the leadership of the world. It's not going to be easy, though. Verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We're going to have to work against what's nat natural to us. We're going to take, try to take the easy road out sometimes. We're going to try to take the, the quick road out. We're going to try to take a road out that, um, that it's going to be pleasing to the flesh. Um, to try to be... Um, what, what man wants, not what God wants. And we're going to have to resist that sometimes. We're going to have to struggle against that sometimes. We're going to have to really buckle down. And the only way that we can do this, folks, is to know what God's Word says, of what He wants us to do. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. Peter had to address this as well. Now remember, Peter... Did he get it all right in the beginning? No, he had to learn the hard way about some things, and I'm afraid we're going to do the same. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 
are, are very helpful chapters to us. There's a lot to be read in this. I'm going to hit the high places. How does he say we need to be? Verse number 4 of chapter 1, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that these you might, might, might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. He's telling us in these days that we're living what God expects of us. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, and I think I, think I told you first, Peter, but I'm in second. You shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Where is the ultimate kingdom? It's in Christ. We can never lose that focus. Right now we got our focus so much on what's going on in the world that we're almost being blinded to where Christ wants us to be. How we is, right there are the Christian virtues that were just listed. Verse 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Add to you all of these things, and especially so as we're living in these last days. Add these things, it says. Verse number 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Are we not there? Peter is laying out what they dealt with then and what we're dealing with today. And it goes on down. The Lord, in verse number 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God is in control, but that does not make us bench warmers. That does not make us Christians that are on the sideline just waiting for things to happen. So in a day that we're living, it's even much more so the need for us to live the Christian life and follow after Christian principles than it ever has been before. It's not a time to, to back off. It's not a time to slack off. It's not a time to, to just go with the flow and, and be with the crowd. It's a time to stand out as a Christian, not to be squashed. How do we do that? Well, verse number, chapter number 3, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the, the, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Are people not doubting that Christ even exists? Are people not doubting that he's even coming? Are people even saying what silliness that the Bible is? What silliness that, 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 that Jesus could just pop out of the sky? That's, way, that's the way the world is today. Those influential people that I listed, oh, that's just a small list. 
But that's the influence of today. Unfortunately, that's what's influencing our children. And the university systems are doing the same thing. They are, they are trying to convince our children, our teenagers, our young adults that God does not exist. That don't be caught up in this silliness of a second return. But my Bible says more than once that he's coming back. But the world doesn't want to talk, talk about that. They want to talk about how good man is doing, how good government is doing. How good we can be for you, the government says. How much of a help we can be for you. What all we can do for you. Well, I hope you understand that what they're saying they can do for you is that they're wanting you to be dependent on the government. They're wanting you to be dependent on man, not God. Not the truth. And there is so much confusion out there. And that's, I, I, me and Eric talked about this in a prayer room, divide and conquer. They want, they want man against man. They want woman against woman. They want us against the government and the government against us. They want husband against wife. They want parent against child, child against parent. They want black against uh, white and white against black. They want believers against non-believers. That's okay. But we have to, us, we have to do it in love. You see how the non-believer acts. My, my question to the non-believer is that if what you believe is so true, why is it bothering you so bad that you can't leave me alone about my beliefs? If there's, if there's, if there's nothing for the unbeliever to worry about, then why are they so worried about it? That they won't let me speak it. There's something to it. There's something that's inerrant to them that they're just trying to push away and deny. And that's the power of the Holy Ghost, trying to work on people. But the Bible also says that they would believe a lie, that strong delusion will come, and they won't believe the truth. Verse number 9, listen, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? See, Peter even says, what manner of person should we be in the days that we're living, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? For in the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother. Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they are all unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. There are people that just can't grab what you and I believe, can't grasp what you and I are looking for, can't get a hold of it. But that is no excuse for us to back down from it. It says, what manner of person should we be? And God has given us the answers.
1 John chapter number 5. It all comes down to this. When we're faced with these difficulties, when we're faced with these, these troubles, when we're faced with these decisions, where have we got to center back to? Verse number one, whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. For this we know that we love the children of God. We love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. They're not meant to hurt, hurt us and make us anxious. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. What's going to have to get stronger in these days? Oh, my. Our faith is really, really, really going to have to be mustered up. It's going to have to take center stage because we're going to see things, hear things, maybe even be asked to do things. We're just going to shake our heads. So how do we push through the times that we're living? We've got to have faith. Not in man, not in man's ways, not in man's government, not in anything of this world, the Bible says, because it says we have overcome the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. He was born of a virgin. We have to believe that. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. Folks, the Holy Spirit is going to be the sort of the, I don't know how to put this. Well, I, can't, I do know how to put it because that's, it, it's, it's exactly what the Bible word means, paraclete, to work alongside. You've heard of paramedic? That just means medic alongside, para beside. That's all that means. So what do we have now? We have the paraclete. We have the Holy Spirit alongside. When I, when I was sitting at the restaurant today, uh, Jim came up and he said, how you doing? I said, doing great. And he said, see, you're having breakfast with Jesus this morning. Because I was by myself. And I said, yes, sir. And I said, you would not believe how present he is. And I think I may have told some of you this before. When I go sit at that restaurant, and I'm by myself, and they usually, Kayla usually puts me in, a, in the same seat every time. And whoever else, they put me in the same seat, and they just bring me what I'm, they know I'm going to want, and I just sit there, and I've got my little little bitty Bible. I don't take my big one in. I've got my little bitty Bible, and I just sit there and start reading. And they, they keep filling my coffee cup because they know what I'm doing. But the Spirit... The Holy Spirit presence in that moment in time is just unbelievable, undescribable, to be honest with you. I don't know how many messages have been born out of the bench, out of the booths of Olympic restaurant because of my quiet time having breakfast with the Lord. But that's what we're going to need. We're going to need the paraclete. We're going to need the Holy Spirit to come alongside. You better bring him to church every Sunday. You better bring him to church every Wednesday. You better bring him to church when we have revival. You better bring him to the office. You better let him in your house. You better let him in your bedroom. 
You better let him wherever you are. Because without the paraclete, without the Holy Ghost, our faith is going to waver. Because what did the Bible say? We're going to have a hard time understanding some of this. Are you not already? I am. And I know the end of the story, and I'm still having trouble understanding how, how could somebody even think the way they think and believe the way they believe based on this. That's the problem. They don't believe this. We got to have that help. The last verse is in verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence. Folks, right there is a word that we have got to, to add to our vocabulary. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We have somebody that's going to listen, just like they just like he listened to Habakkuk, just like he listened to Jeremiah. Habakkuk was mad, yet the Lord still listened. Jeremiah was sad, and the Lord helped him. So no matter your state of mind, no matter your state of existence, it's going to change from day to day sometimes. I've just sat and cried some days at the state of the, the world that we're living in. And I have also been ready to put my fist through the wall at what's happening. The anger sometimes. The frustration. Right now, let me tell you, my frustration level is exceeding this ceiling right now when it comes to some things in the school system. Oh, I mean, I have to, Sherry even tells me, don't you dare say anything. I mean, she tells me, she says, don't say anything. But you know there's going to come a time somebody's going to have to say something. Somebody's going to have to stand up and be a representative of the truth. And that's going to be hard. Jennifer and me have been talking all day by text. She's been asking me the very questions. Dwayne, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the mandates that are coming? What's going to happen? Well, folks, I'll tell you this. Over in England, and it may be even some other places of the world, they're already receiving chip implants in their wrists and hands. And it's got all their banking information on it. It's got all their, got all of their phone lists on it. All they got to do is talk to their wrist. They can walk into the store and wave their hand in front of the, the scanner. They can buy and purchase. Does that sound familiar? But I want to give you confidence. That's not the mark of the beast. But is it setting the stage? It is setting the stage for things that we never thought would be possible. How close are we to the end? When the very evidence of the mark of the beast is in our presence. How close are we? So what do we do? We have confidence in him. We have faith in him. We have an assurance in him. 
So that's where we are in this day that we're living. The Bible has, it, oh, go read your Bible, folks. I cannot emphasize this enough. See the, see the plan from beginning to end that Jesus laid out in the parables of what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. He gives the, 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 the parables of the ten virgins. Five made preparation, five didn't. Five that didn't have no access. I mean, what is that? That's about salvation. It's about people making a choice. He tells parable after parable. He says the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son. We're going to have people, you're going to have people in your family that are going to go away. But there's an opportunity for them to come back. God hadn't forgot about them. The 99 and 1. God's not going to leave you out. You go astray, he's going to go after you and try to get you back to where he is. We're, we're going to have issues in these last days, folks, that are going to just absolutely test our faith. It's a matter of whether we're going to stand or not. I'm not sure how to take some things that are, that are really happening as far as I'm, people are really angry about some things and they're, they're wanting it to change. But I've read the end of the book and he said that perilous times would come. He said that things would wax worse and worse that wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, all these things that are happening ought to give us confidence in God's Word playing itself out, showing us that His Word is true, that His ways are true. And we better be watching Israel because that clock's going to start back up one of these days and everything that's lining up is pointing that it could start right now. There's nothing preventing Him from coming back. Nothing. So as Christians living in this kind of world that we're living in, against the, the resistance and the, the mandates and, and all of these things that they're asking us to do, folks, we have to seek out the Lord in every move and every decision and every way and every thought that we do. He says to think on these things. I told you that. All those things are Jesus. We can't take Jesus out of the picture, folks, but that's exactly what's trying to take place today. Are they going to try to shut me down? Maybe. Are they going to try to shut the doors of our church? Maybe. But who's going to be left? Who's going to, who's going to come anyway? Or who's going to bow down and say, uh, I just can't take that chance? That's going to be the ultimate choice one of these days of who's going to stand for the faith, who's going to stand for Christ, who's going to stand for what's right, and who's going to suffer the consequences. The Bible even says that we're going to suffer. I'm just sitting here thinking a particular scripture in, in I believe it's First Peter. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscious toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if you be buffeted for your faults? You shall take it patiently. But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. Does that not describe probably where we're going in these days that we're living? That we're going to suffer for well-doing. We're going to suffer for what's right. 
For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who is his own self, who in his, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For ye are as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Don't leave the side of Jesus. Don't leave the Holy Spirit out. Don't leave faith. Don't leave the steadfastness that you've got to adhere to. We've got to be able to stand up. Did I say it was going to be easy? Did the Bible say it was going to be easy? No. But we overcome the world. So what is this bittersweet nature of death? The bittersweet nature of death is that the bitterness is that Christ had to die. The sweetness is he said that he had to to give us something even more powerful, which is the Holy Spirit living in our souls right now. You know, he said that you and I, under the power of the Holy Ghost, have more power than he did when he walked this earth. Because each one of us can take the gospel farther than he could as an individual man. So what is the bittersweet nature of death? The bittersweet nature is that we have had loved ones to go on before us, and it's not fun. But the sweetness is that we can go to them. The sweetness is that to the Christian, death is not a, not a, a terminal sentence. Death is a graduation ceremony. Death is a transition from mortal life to immortal life, from corruptible to incorruptible, from sinful to sinless. That's the bitter sweetness of death is that we, we, we mourn those that have gone on before us and we would love to see them again. There's a new song out by Casting Crowns called Scars in Heaven. One of these days, I won't have any scars anymore. I'll have a perfect body. And the song closes. The only scars that you will see in heaven will be in the hands of the one that holds your hands today. That's where we are. That's where we've got to put our trust. The bittersweet nature of death. The disciples, Paul told them, I mean, uh, Jesus told them, they're coming after you. They're going to run you out of the synagogue. We're going back to John 16 to close this up, to wrap this all up. He says they're coming after you. And they're going to think they're doing God good by killing you. What happened to all the disciples except John? Killed for their faith. And Paul was... I'll call it secluded as the Bible, to the Isle of Patmos. But look what happened when he got there. We got the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says it. John's isolation, quote, physical isolation on the Isle of Patmos gave us all that we know today about the end times, of what's coming. And every church, it says, to him that over. Overcomer. We're going to be overcomers.
but our faith is going to have to be the, the, the abiding characteristic. And the Holy Spirit's going to have to be the one that we rely on, not man. Don't rely on me. I'll fail you. And I probably already have some of you, and I will again. But I can tell you there's one that won't. And his scars and his blood are just as fresh in heaven today as they ever were because he paid the price. There's where our focus has to be in the last days that we're living. Has to be. There's no other way except to rely on Christ. Father, we love you tonight. I ask you to take this message, Lord. Use it maybe as just a springboard to go read more. I only scratch the surface of your powerful words. Lord, I pray that people get the, the desire and the urge to know more. And the only way they're going to know more is to talk to you, to open up your word, to seek out you. It says if we lack wisdom, to ask. And you not only will give, but you will give abundantly. Lord, we thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you for the promises of your, your, your plan. And all that's happening before us is not without your control. Lord, I know that you're not the author of evil, that man and, and Satan and this world has done that. But I also know that you allow things to happen in our life, that our faith would be strengthened, that our resolve would be strengthened. Father, I pray that we're a praying people in these last days, that we talk to you more than we ever have before, that people's lives are changed even more than they've ever been changed before, beyond salvation. As Paul said, that we work out our own salvation, that we draw closer and closer and closer to you, doing what you have asked us to do, not losing faith, but gaining faith and strength in you. Lord, we're surely going to need you in these days. And I pray, God, we know you now while it's good so that we don't have to hunt you out when it gets bad. Lord, we love you tonight. I ask you to meet with those that are standing here, sitting here, watching and listening as we close in this just quiet time with a song playing that will be reflective of you and all that you've done for us and never forget. And we'll give you all the praise for it's in Christ's precious and sweet name that we pray. Amen. Page 181. Thank you.